0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Got a fun show today, I think. Uh, We'll be talking the bowl game, the Camping World Bowl virginia tech versus oklahoma we'll do our juice uh, or no juice game which is a, one of the most highly anticipated games every season by us at least and uh, we'll talk about justin puente why why he didn't take the or wasn't interested in the florida state job and what jobs he might be interested in if they were to come open and some other topics along the way andy i told you off the air i think this trip to orlando is a golden opportunity for you and i to get it right you know, when we went to Miami this year, I think we hit every note right. The travel was great, the beach was perfect. And Orlando, we just not have we've not had it all come together. You you were sick last year. 5 years ago my brain committed a balk, like at the worst op-
1: you know, worst time. And now we're we're going to give us another try. Yeah, hopefully we'll get it right this time. I mean, there's still a lot of time between now and the bowl game. Something horrendous could go wrong in that time. But you're right. Like last year, I was just like, could not even leave the hotel room, which was a shame. I'm like surrounded by all these great food places within, within the hotel complex that we were at. And I couldn't even eat a single thing on a company expense account. It was really a travesty of the mm-hmm. highest order. Uh, you know, the Russell Athletic Bowl in 2012. Uh, I pick you up at the airport. You're wobbling around. <laughs> we didn't know what the heck was wrong with you at that point. Uh, I remember later you're like, "I'll do a hot tub sesh. That'll that'll set my that'll set me right." You know, Aaron McFarlane, MD, over mm-hmm. here. A little hot tub sesh will cure what ails you with the old brain problem. There, it ended up being far more serious than that. Uh, so you're right. This is an opportunity we can both go to Orlando and enjoy it. Uh, even though it might be a short trip because it's right around Christmas, and I would not like to not miss Christmas this year, so I don't think I'll get down there until after that. But uh, it'll be it'll be a good trip. I, I think this will be a fun bowl. Yeah, it's
0: December twenty eighth, four thirty, right? That's the time. Five fifteen. Oh, five fifteen. I'm already getting stuff wrong.
1: It's a uh, it's like a borderline bad deadline game because you think you have more time than you 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 actually do, and this will be like Oklahoma State throws it so much. This will be like a four hour game at least. Yeah. So. This is going to be tighter on deadline than it might seem. Yeah. Uh,
0: People are going to wake up in the morning expecting to see lots of quotes and stuff, and they might not get them.
1: We'll we'll have to see. Well, the last time we were there, we did. I remember going down. It was raining out at the game. we go down to the post-game press conference. It was one of the most awkward post-game press conferences. Uh, I think it was Mike Barber who asked the question. It was the question that needed to be asked. Uh, he put it in the most polite way possible. It was essentially, you know, Frank Beamer, are you going to fire all of your offensive coaches after this? <laughs> like it had been in the works. It was already going to be a change that was going on, and then they go and they win a game 13-10 to in the bowl game where they didn't even get 200 yards of total offense against Rutgers. It was one of the worst games I've ever witnessed. Uh, did not think that I would see worse than that. And then they lose a 6-3 to double overtime game that was scoreless at the end of regulation a couple years later. Uh, but that was such a weird post-game press conference because, like, Steinspring comes in, and we're asking him, are ba- essentially, are you going to get fired? Like, it was, it was just very weird. Kevin Sherman's there. There was a report that came out before the game that he had already accepted a job at Purdue or was going to go to Purdue. So we're asking him. We're like, are is this accurate? Are you going to Purdue after this? And his response was something like, I have associations with people who work at Purdue. So it's something like, it was some very, like, legalese answer. It's like, this is just bizarre, everything that's going on with that. So that was one of the strangest games uh, I think I've ever covered. Uh, I would imagine uh, the score of that game was 13-10 to 10 in overtime. I think they might eclipse that point total in the first quarter this year.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I think that was your first bowl game as the Virginia Tech uh, beat writer. No,
1: Sugar Bowl. Oh, that's right. That's right. The greatest bowl game trip ever. Yeah. The that- Sugar Bowl. You know, I kinda we need to get back to the Sugar Bowl, so make it happen, Hokies. Get in the college playoff or whatever you need to do. To, and that's really the only way it happens is if they make a national semifinal and the Sugar Bowl happens to be hosting that year because it's a lot. Of, the Sugar Bowl otherwise is locked into the uh, Big 12 versus the SEC. Uh, so that's the only way it can happen. This year was a semifinal. They missed their shot. Clemson's going there. So it's going to be another four, three, four years before it's even a possibility.
0: Do you remember how out of the blue that was? I mean, I guess we didn't break it down like we did the Miami thing last week, you know, where there's well, there's a one percent chance, you know, because I remember hearing that and being like,
1: holy smokes, I never even thought
0: that was possible.
1: Well, that was back in the BCS days, and there's a little bit more give and take about you know the old bowl partnerships. No, oh, Virginia Tech's been good to the Sugar Bowl. Now it's based on ranking and where that playoff committee puts them, so it's kind of taken out of the hands of that sort of backroom deal type thing. I feel like. Virginia Tech got into that one and sort of has had no bowl luck since then. <laughs> like remember the year where they, they were going to go to Belk and then no, Pitt can't go. So they had to take NC State and then Pitt goes to the Military Bowl and then Virginia Tech gets dropped down to Shreveport for that. It's like I feel like they've used up all their good luck, their <laughs> karma that they had uh, coming back to bite them here for, for getting into that Sugar Bowl that they probably didn't deserve to go to. But they also probably deserved to win because I think they, they were a better team than Michigan. Kind of got screwed over in that Danny Cole call uh, at the end of regulation there. Or that was in overtime when he caught that. Uh, But, yeah, it seems like ever since then their bowl luck has not quite been great. Until this year, uh, they get actually a pretty good matchup with Oklahoma State. Yeah, this is
0: a good matchup. Uh, Oklahoma State opens as a a six-and-a-half point favorite. Even more interesting (laughs) is the over-under, which is 63 Anytime you see a, a Bud Foster – a game that Bud Foster is involved with with an over-under of 63, I can't tell you how often that's happened. Maybe the Tulsa game, uh, Frank's last game uh, as uh, in the Independence Bowl, maybe. I mean, I can't think of many instances. Maybe last year there might have been a game somewhere along the way where they were expected – maybe against Syracuse or something where they were expected to run it up. I don't know.
1: I, I think – during that 2015 season where the defense wasn't great by the end of the year, a lot of injuries had given up some some yards in that season, or was it 2014? It, it, a couple of those years, the defense was not that great by the end of the year. So I think there probably might have been some gains where it was this high. It's kind of surprising to see a number that high when the defense has been this good. Yeah. I mean, this is, the, this is a defense that has the lowest completion percentage against in the country, uh, it's giving up like 13 points, something points per game. That's up there in the, the top five. I don't, I can't remember the exact figure off the top of my head. Uh, I know there's been injuries to it at the end of the season, but the fact that the number's that high, and you know Virginia Tech has struggled at the end of the year, uh, it would not have hit this number I think in any of its games it's played anytime recently. Uh, that that tells you how potent this Oklahoma State offense is, and how, what the kind of potential is for it to, to sort of be a shootout. Even though Oklahoma State has had some games this year. Uh you know they played Texas and they won it 13 to 10 it's like you see the 62-52 against Oklahoma, and you go, oh, this is going to be way over that. And then they have this weird one out of nowhere at Texas that's a 13-10 game. So it's possible to keep this to a low-scoring game. It's going to be a very, very difficult task, and you have to play a certain way to do that. But it's happened to Oklahoma State this year. I don't think it's the mortal lock of the century like some people say, the over. You don't quite know how these games are going to turn out. Uh, sometimes these offenses go a month without playing. They kind of lose their rhythm. Uh, Sometimes you see that where they're a lot more defensive minded than you would think in a bowl game. So uh, I don't know. I I think it'll be in in a, a really intriguing contrast of styles where you have this incredible passing offense really wants to push the tempo with Oklahoma State. Uh, Virginia Tech, maybe last year in this game, would have been even more entertaining because they had the potential to right. go up and down the field with them. I uh, don't think they have that this year, so I would imagine that's going to be a much more sort of try to ball control defense, run the ball type approach from Virginia Tech. Yeah,
0: do what you did against Virginia. You know, keep play, keep away, uh, control the ball for 37 minutes, something like that. That might be a, a good recipe now 35 28 if you looked at the line and the over under that's 63 points 35 28 oklahoma state is pretty much what the ballpark uh quote unquote prediction for for vegas is and that we know that vegas doesn't work that way but still uh just for a discussion point uh so people are saying it's a they they think it's a mortal lock that it's going to go over is that what you were saying
1: I think that, that's what I've seen. I, I think, uh, what was a Norm Wood tweeted the other day. He's like, if you're going to bet your entire life savings, the, the over is easy money on this one. Huh. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll defer to you. You're the betting expert here. You're like the one who bets on draws in European soccer leagues. So. <laughs> I, I, do, I do like the way Bud's defense <laughs> closes the season. That's for sure. I, there's a lot to like there. You have to wonder how this secondary – it's a secondary that's been very good, but it is prone to giving up big pass plays. Yeah. That's one thing where they have struggled with, even though they did pretty good against a Virginia team that had that capability. Uh, Terrell Edmonds out for the year. Luke uh, Reynolds, who really knows. I mean, he was out with a, you know, quote-unquote, illness in the Virginia game. I think that's related to a concussion that he suffered at the end of the pit game. Uh, he sort of was dealing with like a hip injury, I think. Before, who knows what his status will be for the bowl game? So you're removing two starters on that defense. That all of a sudden you got some backups in there. I wonder what their capability will be. But you know they still have really good corners, Brandon Faze and Greg Strowman, first team All ACC. Strowman was uh, Donis Alexander. I mean they, they they have the the horses on defense to line up with these guys, but they have. Uh, put those guys in situations where they're going to be one-on-one and sometimes you lose those matchups and they beat you for a big touchdown so it's just fascinating the the whole chess match X's and O's this game will be just fascinating it will be yeah I
0: mean the Hokies have a really good punter too I mean that helps you know he he does a good job pinning the team at least you make them earn their uh, touchdowns you know to make them go the distance right
1: well this i mean this match oklahoma state is kind of like a souped up west virginia okay like they they have a better quarterback than west virginia they have better receivers than west virginia they push the tempo a little bit more than west virginia and everybody saw how that season opener went where virginia tech won but it won by the skin of its teeth at the end of the game uh in a game where they were outgained by 150 yards and you know west virginia i think had 500 some yards of offense so uh, really, what won that game was ball control. They ran the ball pretty well. That was one of Josh Jackson's best games ever, running the ball and field position. You know, they pinned them and made West Virginia go 80 plus yards on every single drive. That's sort of why the yardage disparity was so much. So, uh, you know, that was stretching this uh, defensive secondary to its its limit in that game. You know, Terrell Edmonds went out late with uh, cramping. Uh, They had to bring in Divine Diablo, who's now hurt and out for the year. So, I mean, they were already sort of stretched to the limit there, and they barely held on against West Virginia when they were playing well at the beginning of the season. Uh, That's why I think this will be such a challenge in this game, because this is a great offense, probably better than West Virginia's with a better quarterback, and your defense is missing some of those key parts.
0: And Virginia Tech has not started
1: fast very often this season. No, that's one of my keys. Every single game is yeah. start fast because it's such an easy one to grade. You can do it after the first quarter. Uh, this is not a game where you you fall behind fourteen to nothing against uh, Oklahoma State and you you come back. I mean, it's just it's a tough offense to come back against. I mean, you saw what they did against Pitt. Yeah. Uh, I forget what the score of that game was. I closed the browser here that had the scores on it, but uh, I mean, it was like forty-two to seven or something like that. Halftime. I think Mason Rudolph, the quarterback for Oklahoma State, played like. Two and a half quarters and threw for five hundred some yards and six touchdowns. I mean that's that's the capability of this offense and that's what they're up against.
0: What is what is Oklahoma State ranked?
1: They are nineteenth in the college football rankings. Virginia Tech is twenty second. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I was looking at the coach the final coaches' poll ballots and Fuente actually has Oklahoma State lower than any other coach huh. on, on the ballot. He had them twenty third. Uh, he had Virginia Tech 24th. I mean, it's not like it's a huge slight. It's not like this this controversy last year where Brett Bielema left Virginia Tech off his ballot altogether. And I was like, oh, that was my that was a mistake by my sports information director. I'll get him to correct that immediately. Uh, so I don't know if there's a saving face moment that's involved here. But, yeah, 19 versus 22, you know, they're sort of in the same ballpark.
0: Did Puente just stamp Boomer Sooner on the bottom of his He thing. did.
1: I think that's what it was. Well, <laughs> Fired a shotgun off
0: and then... Uh, Put his ballot in. Well, speaking of uh, you know fuente in Oklahoma, I mean the, the, there are connections galore here between these two programs, right? Vance Vice has some connections. Give us
1: give us some uh, a snapshot of all the, uh, the the
0: connections these two programs have.
1: Well, start with the head coaches. Mike Gundy uh, is an Oklahoma State grad and was sort of a he played there when Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas were the running backs. Uh, but he was like an Oklahoma like high school star quarterback, and he was one of the sort of first quarterbacks in the state, you know, when everybody's running the wishbone and stuff there, to throw the ball. And that made an impression on a young Justin Fuente, who was from Tulsa, uh, sort of idolized Mike Gundy when he was uh, a quarterback through his career. Uh, then when Gundy gets to Oklahoma State as a young assistant coach – turns out one of his first players that he's recruiting is Justin Fuente who's an up-and-coming star quarterback at Tulsa's Union High School uh you know the way Fuente described it he was sort of in awe of Gundy because he had been a fan of his for such a long time so it was a neat thing that he was recruiting him uh Fuente ended up going to Oklahoma which was uh, an opportunity to kind of open up I mean Oklahoma had been you know, wishbone, run the ball forever. It was never really a thought for a throwing quarterback like Fuente to go to a place like that. And then Howard Schnellenberger gets hired at Oklahoma. He wants to throw the ball like he did at Miami. They recruit Fuente there. That's a disaster after one year. Schnellenberger leaves. James Blake comes in. He wants to run the ball with a different quarterback again, and Fuente ends up leaving eventually to go to Murray State. So that's sort of his old background uh, with Fuente in Oklahoma.
0: And James Blake goes and plays tennis after
1: that. Yes, or orchestrates the <laughs> some of the sanctions that happened at North Carolina later. He was, like, behind the agent uh, thing that ended up getting UNC in, in hot water there a little bit later. Okay. Not the same guy. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I killed the rally there. My bad. Um, but yeah, you Other were, connections.
0: That that sounds like a good plan. Go
1: uh, Brad Cornelson, offensive coordinator uh, for Virginia Tech, was a GA uh, when I think Gundy was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State early and then later became a quality control assistant coach for a couple years. Or was it one year? One, he was either a GA for two years or a quality control for two years. Three years total with Oklahoma State, but he was a quality control in 2008, I think, uh, when Gundy was the head coach. I think he said that uh, Gundy was very influential in him as sort of an offensive play caller and how, sort of how he devised his scheme. Uh, Vance Vice was a blocking tight end on those late 80s Oklahoma State teams uh, when they had Thurman Thomas, when they had Barry Sanders. Gundy was the quarterback. Uh, it sounds like they were in the same dorm hallway or something like that, Gundy and Weiss. Uh, Gundy obviously has the mullet haircut, so he was asked about that on the teleconference. He said, Vance Vice has had that haircut forever. <laughs> so he's, he's taken ownership of that. It's been 30 years, and he's got the same haircut, so – uh, it sounds like a very Oklahoma, late 80s thing is, is that uh, kind of look.
0: <laughs> I think what we need to do is Cornelson was the quality control coach. We need to see what kind of quality they had
1: in 2008. I, mean, I think they were pretty good. Okay. They've been pretty good throwing the ball uh, ever since Gundy's been there. Do the Hokies have a quality control coach? They do. They have a couple of them. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. you ever talked to any of them? See, well, I think, Cody, I, think Co- I think Cody Grimm is now a quality control it's such a weird title. What, do you, what did they do? I they mean. just pour over film and, okay. and do stuff like that. But they can't like go out recruiting or anything like that. They're like, It's like an extension of a GA. Okay. It's just somebody to have in the office that can do a lot of different uh, tools. It takes uh, work off the head coach's job. They film cut-ups and, and Making it easy, easier for the position coaches to do their jobs, essentially, what that person does. Oh, yeah. It's the
0: co- coaching equivalent of the
1: mailroom, right? Higher than that. It's like room. assistant to the assistant coach, okay. essentially. Oh, I got you.
0: All right.
1: Yeah, I think we should talk more about the mullet. Who, who was the – I'm trying
0: to remember now. Who, who, when they went to El Paso, the, the offensive line coach for – Jeff Grimes. Grimes, he had that haircut, too. Oh, was popular. Back in the day. Yeah. I mean – and it was – I could just see those gas station glasses with the neon uh, brims, you
1: know, that you get. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, here's the – like late 80s, you remember Brian Bosworth? Yes. He had the mohawk and like the long hair in the back and the shaved sides with the, the the sort of like racing stripes. I had a haircut like that. Like I like Brian <laughs> Bosworth so much that I had a haircut like that for a while. It was – the, the pictures are just horrendous of that time. But like for cr- Halloween one year, I went as Brian Bosworth. I put like the streaks – the uh the blue and green streaks on the side of my hair it was pretty good it was probably for like a solid year or two that i had that haircut so it was pretty popular back in the day well i had
0: the yeah i i called it the joe orslack cut because he had the he had a similar mullet i
1: just loved how <laughs> not, it not quite as nationally known as brian bosworth oh yeah the orslack yep
0: that's what it was slack was a utility man and an outfielder for the orioles and he was terrific guy i mean he just he hustled all the time and he had a great a great mullet and so i grew out that um it looked it looked terrible i mean my hair never looks good but this was really bad because it's curly and uh man, I should, oh that I should, makes it even
1: better i should get my mom to pull up some old pictures of that that was pretty sweet you know who else has a mullet is my daughter she has a nice old <laughs> dirty southwest va mullet working that uh She'll grow out of it at some point, but it is—it's very—it's very, it's very What do we
0: know about Gundy's decision to stick with it all these years later? Well,
1: I think it—it it sort of has become a celebrity thing on its own. I mean, people sort of expect it now. I mean, he plays up to it. Uh, he did the the pep rally thing where like. He said, oh, I'll take off my shirt if the quarterback takes off. And like, So he's standing there shirtless at a basketball game with his mullets. I, I think he sort of like feeds into it. And you think about the attention that that's gotten him. I mean, that's what you want in college football. So you get attention and, you know, have a recruit take notice of you or something like that. I'm not saying a recruit is picking Oklahoma <laughs> State because the coach has a mullet, but people know of him because of that. That's sort of a trademark thing now. So it's smart to continue it, I would say.
0: So you heard it here first. Kids are picking Oklahoma State because of the mullet. That's what Andy's saying.
1: Yes, mullets (laughs) over non-mullets. Justin Fuente, get on that because your mullet is severely lacking right Uh, now. Do you think he
0: sends Vance Vice into all the living rooms to make sure they know that we have a mullet too?
1: He sends Vice in wearing the sunglasses just straight in first. And they go, all right, these guys are here to party. Uh, And then Fuente comes in and he's all business. That's the party business dichotomy that they have going on there.
0: I told you this after I saw Vance Vice at a Lord Bata High School game. He was recruiting, he was recruiting that Tenuda kid.
1: Yeah, I, I told you. He just looks so cool. He looks like he's right out of eighties. Eighties cool. Well, he's got like that practice jacket. It's like a le. It's like not a leather jacket, but it's like a. It's like a sweat jacket or something that he wears over the top of his outfit. And it's a very eighties whole. Just everything about it is a very late eighties attire that he's got going on yeah. it works for him yeah it's like straight out of teen wolf
0: really oh yeah yeah,
1: yeah. quality quality poll well
0: you know gundy <coughs> was sort of uh, i don't know his name was being floated out there a little bit uh, for some of these jobs the tennessee job right it always
1: right. is he seems like he's always flirting with somebody out there and
0: of course he didn't take it He ended up getting a raise right from
1: five million a year okay. worked out pretty well yeah that's pretty good and then of course a lot has happened
0: in the in the week since we last gathered because I had put on the list to talk about the Florida State job and some other jobs that were coming open and we never actually got to that last week. I apologize for that. That was my fault. But I mean, you addressed it in your mailbag last week that you didn't think he, you know, the Fuente was all that interested in the Florida State job. And as it turns out, he kind of came out and said exactly that.
1: Yeah, it was weird when when Jimbo. When the, the Jimbo to Texas a thing really got some steam and it sounded like it was going to happen. This was after we recorded a podcast last week, I think. Uh, you know, Initially, the report was Florida State's top two targets are Willie Taggart of Oregon and Justin Fuente, Virginia Tech. And I thought that was kind of weird because I had never gotten any sense that Fuente was interested in going anywhere. Uh, so it's that Friday, and it sounds like a Jimbo thing is is really a almost a done deal at that point. I you know I'm calling around a little bit and talking to people at Virginia Tech, and I just I got no indication that there was anything to that report. Like I I just there was nothing coming from Fuente's side to suggest that the feeling was reciprocal. I can understand why Florida State would look at him. I mean he's a youngish coach, forty one, I believe. Uh, he's an offensive minded coach which is what these schools all look for uh, you know relative to what he could be get paid at a bigger school he's underpaid by that sense 3.25 million nobody would ever call that underpaid in the real world in the college football world I mean jimbo just signed for seven and a half million a year I mean th- there are obviously schools that can pay bigger money for this uh, but I never got the sense that uh, there's any sort of you know, motivation or momentum from the Virginia Tech or Fuente side of things that he was even looking anywhere. Uh, Sunday comes around, uh, you know, the, the job comes open, and it, you don't really hear Fuente's name again after that initial burst of reports. Uh, he gets asked about it on the, on the teleconference. I think David Teal asked the question, and you know, he's a Hall of Famer for a reason. He's got a good way of asking those kind of questions, getting a response. And Fuente's response was, "Anybody that's asked, I just haven't been interested. I just told him I've declined to talk to anybody. I'm happy where I am at Virginia Tech, and I think he said yes. You know, it hasn't gone anywhere because I sort of nipped it in the bud before it gets started. Yeah. And you know that's sort of what I had gathered from talking to people that there's just not really uh, any interest on his side right now for leaving Virginia Tech. And then, you know that has got to be music to Hokies fans' ears to hear that uh, because I I think." Virginia Tech is a very, very good football school, but uh, there are ones out there that have better resources, that have better access to big-time recruits, uh, that can pay you a whole lot more, and uh, you know, as, as long as Fuente is at Virginia Tech, those jobs are always going to be out there every year. So uh, the fact that he said right now he has no interest in those jobs, I, I think that's got to be pretty reassuring if you're a Hokies fan.
0: Yeah, you've said this before on this podcast, Like every fan base thinks their school is special. You know, every fan base thinks, wow, you know, why would so-and-so want to leave the school that I love? But it sounds like at least at this stage, I mean, there really is a connection, I think, between Fuente and Blacksburg and Virginia Tech. And I think he, you know, I, I think he would, he's the kind of guy, who, I think he would feel kind of dirty or he, I think he would feel guilty maybe is, is the better word. Uh, if he left this program after only
1: two years, after
0: making a commitment to Wit and all those things, the commitment that Wit's made to him.
1: Well, everybody preaches the same family, this is home type thing, some variation of right. that wherever they are. So I'm not going to be like, oh, he means it when he says it, because I've heard coaches say that and sound sincere, and then they bolt for the better opportunity when it comes there. So, coach, football coaches just say that stuff because they kind of have to say that to, you know create some loyalty from the fan base and get them all to buy into what they're selling here. Uh, You you look at the reasons why people leave for other jobs. Uh, Money is one of them. I think so far Whit Babcock has shown uh, that he will up the compensation. It was upped a little bit last year. I would imagine either this year or next year it will be upped a little bit more just to stay competitive with some of these jobs that will continue to come open. Uh, I think – you look at it from a competitive situation. Can you win where you are? Uh, I don't think Fuente has you know, bumped his head on the ceiling here at Virginia Tech. Is not like, oh, they, they're, they're knocking on the door and they just can't get over the top because they can't get recruits or they can't uh, win a division or something like that. They can. I mean, they, they've proven they can win the division already. They're, they were right there with Clemson, which won the national championship a couple of years ago. I, th- I think it, it hasn't been proven that, oh, Virginia Tech can't do that on the national scene quite yet. Uh, another reason would be friction with your athletic director. I mean, how often do you see it where a new athletic director comes in and doesn't quite see eye to eye with the coach? Uh, the coach wants to have more power in the situation or wants to get in a, in a different situation and start fresh. You don't see that at Virginia Tech. With Babcock was the, the AD that was in place who hired Fuente. I mean, Fuente was his guy. That was his signature hire, I would say, so far at Virginia Tech. Uh, So I don't see any problem there. I I see a great working relationship between those two. So uh, those are sort of the main reasons why a coach would go somewhere. The other reason is to go home, to go back to where you're from. And I think the fact that the Oklahoma job came open last year for a day, got filled by Lincoln Riley, uh, who is the youngest FBS coach, I think, that's out there, 34, 35 years old, something like that. It doesn't look like that one will be open for a long, long time. So, I mean, if there was a job that I could see him leaving for prematurely at Virginia Tech... It would have been Oklahoma because that would have been close to family. That would have been where he initially went to school. That would have been back home, family, friends. A lot of these coaches on the staff are from that area, but that seems to be filled for the foreseeable future. So you remove from that that from the equation. I wonder how many jobs are out there that he would seriously ever consider. Yeah,
0: I'll throw another factor in too. and I, I think there, it was a little bit in play with the Jimbo situation as well as the
1: money factor, which was –
0: what, 75 million over 10 years? Guaranteed,
1: too. Uh, yeah, that's a big,
0: that's a big, that's the number They might one get factor. the, like, year four or five of that, they're like,
1: ah, we've made a huge mistake. What are, <laughs> what are we doing here?
0: But don't you also get the sense a little bit that Jimbo felt like he wasn't appreciated? I mean, he has a down year, and people are, you know, he's arguing with fans in the stands and stuff. I mean, maybe he felt like he wasn't getting the love he, he felt he deserved
1: there. I think in a sense, uh... It was just a bizarre relationship from Florida State. Like Florida State gave him a lot. And every year it seemed like he's complaining about facilities. Oh, we need to upgrade this. And, you know, like you look at their facilities and you're like, those are great. Like what are you complaining about here? He had flirted when he was the offensive coordinator of the and, and uh, was named the head coach and waiting, which is a terrible setup to do, the head coach and waiting. It barely ever worked. Jimbo is actually one of the only times it's ever worked. And even that sort of soured very quickly. Uh, Maybe not quickly, but over time it soured a little bit after he was promoted to head coach. Uh, West Virginia came open. He was from West Virginia. That was a mama-called situation where, you know, does he want to go take that job instead of waiting out Bobby Bowden at Florida State? Uh, He didn't do that. He'd had multiple flirtations with LSU where uh, it was initially, and then last year I think it it was almost uh, an actuality when they got rid of Les Miles and – You know, they were talking with Tom Herman and Jimbo a little bit, and then they ended up promoting uh, Ed Ogeron from within. I think there was sort of a a fatigue there from the fans. that like, listen, every single year you're talking about wanting to leave for these other jobs, that they just got sick of it. And when you're not winning, all of a sudden that frustration can come out in full force, and especially in a year like this where the expectations were so high. At the beginning of the year we were talking about that Alabama-Florida State matchup as though it was one of the greatest matchups in the history of football. Right. Uh, I know DeAndre Francois got hurt in that game, but you don't just lose your quarterback and all of a sudden your team just turns to trash. Like, it shouldn't be like that. You should have some sort of backup plan. Uh, they had no backup quarterback, but I think the problem's extended far beyond that With in terms of him being loyal to some uh, longtime assistant coaches that maybe weren't hacking it anymore. I think Virginia Tech fans can relate to that. Uh, you know, there was... There's more of a culture problem there than if you lose your starting quarterback, your team falls apart and you go six and six on the season than what happens. I mean, you go up to, to Boston College and the team just absolutely quits and they get blown out whatever it was like thirty eight or forty to ten or whatever the score was like that. I mean there were far more deeper problems than just slight fan discontentment with the, the you know, the season going south this year.
0: You know what's interesting to me is the
1: guy they hired, Taggart
0: at Oregon, right? He was only there for one year. And he had a similar situation where they were doing okay, and then they lost their quarterback, and they lost like three in a row to end the season. It's sort of some parallels to what this Florida State team went through this year. But uh, what do you think? What do you think
1: of that Taggart hire? Is that, is that a good hire in your mind? I think so. I mean, he's a Florida guy. I think he's called Florida State his dream job before. He's a really good recruiter. He's a really good offensive mind. It just seems to fit everything that Florida State wanted in a head coach. And it sounds like a guy that really, really wants to be there. With Jimbo, I think, yeah, he was glad to be there. He was always sort of enamored by the SEC uh, for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Going to Texas A&M, he's probably the fourth best team in that division, if that. Uh, you you got Alabama, Auburn, LSU obviously ahead of them. Uh, I think historically – you know, we'll see if Arkansas can figure things out there. Mississippi State's been pretty good lately. Ole Miss has been hammered lately, but you know, that's a program that has been to, you know, BCS level games in recent years as well. So he certainly has has put himself right in the mix of that whole thing. But we'll see how he does at a school that you know maybe is thinks a little bit more highly of itself as a football school than it actually the results on the field have been. Well,
0: I, I read somewhere, and I, I should give credit to it, but I, I don't remember who wrote it. But somebody wrote that the. The worst thing Alabama did all year was injuring uh, Francois. I mean, you know, to their own to their own uh, uh, resume. You oh, know, absolutely. Because you know, yeah. Francois being out, they, they ended up losing games and and looking terrible. And that win on opening day was was supposed to be their signature win, and it turned out to be you know uh, just another win you know but let's talk about as it uh, turned out it
1: did not hurt them no the the end,
0: it didn't but that was that was a, a line that i saw out there where, you know when there was a discussion whether it should be alabama or ohio state to get in i i predicted last week of course i was wrong about auburn winning that game i thought they'd win but i thought alabama would sneak into the to the four uh they did what do you think of uh alabama getting in
1: I have no problem with it. I think whoever got in as number the number four team was going to get in with a somewhat flimsy argument for why they should have been chosen. I think the top three were obvious. Number four is going to be whoever got in. You could you know rip their resume apart. Uh, I thought personally Ohio State would get in based on what the committee had talked about. Uh, you know they they. they prioritize quality wins which Ohio State had far more of than Alabama you could, you could argue that the three best wins that Ohio State were better than the best win that Alabama had all year uh, they prioritize a conference championship which Ohio State had and Alabama did not uh, the the we, last week before the, the uh, final pairings came out the Kirby Hochut the spokesman for the committee comes out and says 5 through 8 are so they're they're immediately close really close really close together, not much separating those teams. Uh, Then Ohio State goes out and wins a conference championship against the number four team in the country, Wisconsin. Alabama sits at home, and all of a sudden Alabama is unequivocally better in the, the committee's terms than Ohio State was. I just don't. They're talking on both sides of their mouth. So The problem I have is how the committee framed it going into it and how they said it turned out. I have no problem with Alabama getting in. I think Ohio State, if it had gotten in, would have been a really fluky team to put in that fourth spot. I think it would have been a a lame matchup. I think Clemson would have run them off the field. But uh, Alabama kind of got in because it's Alabama this year. I don't think any other team with a resume that Alabama had. I mean, Wisconsin kind of has the same resume that Alabama has. It doesn't have the Alabama name behind it. Uh, I think that's the part that kind of rubs me the wrong way in this.
0: Throw, throw out resume, though, but just go with talent. I mean, isn't Alabama... St- I mean, they're favored in this game against the number one team in
1: the land. Well, they're always going to be favored. Uh, I guess. Alabama always gets the betting public on its side because it's Alabama. But I mean, are you... Are you- If you're just going to base it off talent and, like, how well they recruit and the kind of players they bring into the program, what's the point of playing the games then? What's the point of the actual results on top of that? I'll I'll say this. I ended up putting Alabama fifth on my ballot, uh, followed by Wisconsin, Auburn seventh. But I'm sitting there thinking, Auburn just blew out Alabama the previous week like it was not a close game i know it was like 12 points or something like that auburn really should have won it by more they, they dominated that game more than the score suggested auburn's other two losses uh you know they had three losses on the year they lost lsu a game they gave away at the end of the year but their other two losses were to clemson the team that's number one and in the playoffs and georgia a team that's number three in the playoffs and they have a head to head against against Alabama. Like just because Auburn has three losses, that has to be below a team they just sort of manhandled. I mean, Alabama didn't play uh, Clemson; they might have lost that game earlier this year. Alabama did not play Georgia; they might have lost that game this year. What we have to downgrade Auburn because they're they were clearly a better team on the field than Alabama just a week ago, but they have three losses, so they have to be be below this Alabama team that didn't play as tough as a schedule. And that part just kind of. I don't know. You, you kind of tie yourself in knots with some of these poll Thinking don't, you don't want to see Auburn play. No, I, I don't. A, no, I. The way they lost that game. Dude. I wouldn't. I'm just saying. The argument is like, why? Why does Alabama have to be ahead of Auburn? Why? Why does it? Auburn was the better team in a game that they played on an actual football field. Like, I just. That part to me is just sort of like mind bending. Like, I don't know why you're rewarding an Alabama team for sitting at home. And I know people are going to say Ohio State did the same thing the previous year, but it didn't, not in the same way. Because Ohio State had three top 10 wins last year. Its resume was solid even without playing that 13th game. Uh, you know, a week ago this year, uh, Auburn is clearly the better team than Alabama in the standings. Auburn was second, I think in the in the college football rankings. Alabama it was third. third. Third and Auburn or Alabama was fifth. Fifth or sixth, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Auburn plays an extra game that Alabama didn't even qualify for and loses and all of a sudden Auburn drops to two spots behind them. And like it just that doesn't make sense to me a lot that you get punished for making your championship game and losing in your championship game as opposed to sitting at home like that.
0: I think the playoffs have been awesome. I've enjoyed them thoroughly. I wonder if we do eventually reach a point where there's fatigue and seeing, I mean, this is the third straight year we'll, we'll have seen a Clemson Alabama and, and that's, you know, they look, they've earned it. Uh, our discussion just a second ago, notwithstanding, uh, you know, they've earned the right to be there, but uh, do you think people are, are going to be clamoring for like, look, we need to see eight teams because we need to see
1: more teams uh, get involved with this. Uh maybe I, I originally wanted eight teams I don't really want eight teams I don't I, I kind of like the four I like the controversy that comes with it I mean if you, if you bring eight teams then you're just pushing the controversy further down the line I mean like I already had a problem if Ohio State would have made it this year I have a problem with Alabama making it this year you're telling me in an eight team playoff both of those teams are definitely in well <laughs> and then you're talking about like uh should Penn State get in at 10 and two as a non-champion like like why why should those teams be considered uh for a national championship it seems like you're just you know kicking the can down the line like oh now the debate's going to be between the eight nine teams and these teams shouldn't be competing for a national championship honestly
0: well let's set aside whether or not they'd be worthy to compete for a national championship just i mean would it be fun at all to see one versus eight i mean would it be would it be fun to see a penn state team have a chance even if they weren't going to win the whole thing to knock off Alabama. Would that be interesting, do you think?
1: This is the only way it would be interesting. I think Dan Wetzel put this uh, plan out there that you would eliminate the conference championship games, and that weekend would be the national quarterfinals. That's where you would take the eight teams. The conferences would have to decide their nation, their uh, conference champion just based on a round-robin type play, which would mean probably eliminating divisions. Uh, somehow coming to that, I, I think you'd have to go nine games that way just to have more of a, you know, data points to be able to figure out who the champion is. Uh, I think if you did that way and then the weekend that normally would be the conference championships, that would be the quarterfinals, the national quarterfinals with 18s playing with each other. You could then do the losers of those games would still go to bowl games and the winners would advance to the final four. I think that's a way to do it, but uh, given how much attention there is to, like, player safety and stuff like that, adding extra games to a week, how you would fit an extra – layer of playoff games around the holidays and, uh, you know, exams that schools have and things like that. These are still, you know, ostensibly student-athletes in this whole thing, uh, how to, you know, parse the, the, the class load with the football load that you'd be adding on this. I think it's very difficult to, to sell it. It's just add another layer to the – or another round to the playoffs as it is with the conference championships where they are right now. Yeah,
0: which of those national
1: semifinals is more appealing to you? Georgia Oklahoma is it? Yeah, I think that one's really really interesting to see Baker Mayfield in that offense against Oklahoma and that, or uh, Baker Mayfield in that Oklahoma offense against Georgia's defense. I think that'll be, and honestly, I think Clemson's going to beat Alabama pretty soundly. Do you? I don't think Alabama's that good this year. I don't. I know they were banged up at the end of the yeah, year. They, they might get, get, get some of those guys right? back. I just, I don't know. I don't think they're quite the same team they've been in the past defensively
0: that's what that's why that that game's more interesting to me <laughs> the Clemson Alabama game just because I want to see if because uh, there's possibility you could be right and if it, if you're right then the uh, the national uproar will be hilarious uh, I'm, I'm all
1: for national uproars I don't like I don't feel sorry for Ohio State in this whole deal so no, <laughs> I'm okay no. with them not getting in but yeah I wish it was somebody other than Alabama to have some fresh blood in there sure.
0: All right, let's play Juice or No Juice, shall we? America's favorite game, fastest-growing game in the nation. Just make that claim.
1: Juice or <laughs> no juice? All right, you we have- didn't steal that from the or No Deal. Please do not sue us.
0: All rights reserved. You have not. Uh, you you have written a blog ranking. Uh, hopefully, people haven't read it yet because it's going to step on <laughs> step on our toes of Juice or No Juice.
1: There's a juice-no-juice line in that watchability (laughs) rankings.
0: Check it out after um, you listen to this. uh, He did a nice job of ranking the the ACC bowls uh, 1 through 11. We're including Notre Dame's bowl here, too, because it took an ACC spot away. Um, In terms of watchability, but this is just a straight juice or no juice. You'll hear me rustling the paper because our printer wasn't working uh, in the office today, so I'm doing it old school. With an actual newspaper. We're going to go in chronological order. Uh, December 26th, day after Christmas, Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, Northern Illinois versus
1: Duke. Juice or no juice? No juice. The quick lane ball will never have juice under any circumstance. It like, is the most juice-free <laughs> Detroit itself is just oh. juice-free. I don't know what matchup you'd have to have in that game for me to actually be interested in that. Uh, your, your dirty Terps went there last year, and uh, that might have been the, the peak of juiciness that you would ever have in that game. I would imagine you still had no interest in it. They played Boston College, I think. and I think they played an ACC yeah. team. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a great game.
0: And the Terps won, and my dad was there. And he paid. I a, Boston a, College won that game. Did, uh, maybe they Terps did that. won that game. <laughs> this <laughs> my, is how much juice, it had. You don't even know whether they won the game. My dad was there, and he paid one hundred eighty dollars for two tickets. I remember that was the, that was the hilarious. Seems thing. a bit high. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, I'm going no juice there as well. That's no surprise. Independence Bowl in Shreveport, December twenty seventh, Southern Mississippi versus Florida State.
1: Juice or no juice? No juice. This game has so little juice that Derwin James, the star safety for Florida State, said, peace, I'm out of here. I'm going to to the NFL. I'm not going to risk blowing out my knee again in an absolutely meaningless bowl game. You know, I kind of came out hard on the guys that did that last year, and now um, I'm kind of coming around to the other side where it's like – yeah, Jimbo Fisher didn't even see fit to finish the regular season at Florida State. Why Why would these players put themselves at risk in these games? I can see the other side of it a lot more. Uh, if this, this line is 15 points, I mean, come on. this No, no juice. Three words, horseshoe Bozier City. You're not going to the game. You don't get the benefits of that. No juice. Juice. I'm saying juice, and the reason
0: there's juice is because I, I, I'm interested in what happens to Florida State here. And Just I guess, morbid curiosity. Yeah, I mean, they, they could have a losing season. That'd be a losing season. I know I sound like <laughs> it sounds like that That's very permanent.
1: Hasn't happened in thirty years, thirty-five years. Yeah, that's juicy enough for me. No uh, juice. And plus, I just I
0: can't help but think about a Horseshoe Bowser City, Penn Bowl, Bronx, New York. Oh God! Thank God we are not going here.
1: Boston College versus Iowa. The Oinstro Bowl. Is <laughs> our colleague Doug Downey tweeted? <laughs> Explain that. That is hilarious. Well, I think he was typing on his phone, and obviously the P and the O are very <laughs> close to each other. So instead of pinstripe, he had oinstroyul. in, in Oinstroy. <laughs> yeah, Oinstryo, How However you would pronounce that. Yeah, it was a rather comical uh, typographical error, which is still up on Twitter, by the way, <laughs> if you want to go check it out. Juice or no juice? No juice. I, Iowa just can't excite me. unless Unless it's the Iowa that showed up for the Ohio State game and it's the Boston College team that was scoring 40 points a game when A.J. Dillon was just running through defenses. I can't imagine that's what this game is going to be, so I'm going to say no juice. Yeah, this is juiceless. juiceless. Military Bowl, Annapolis, Virginia versus Navy. That is uh, December 28th. I think from a national sense that would be no juice from a Virginia-centric state uh stance i will give it juice just come curious to see how the cavaliers play in a bowl game i mean it's been that long this is kind of an interesting. i mean george welsh was a navy guy before he went to virginia so that's got uh, some connections there uh so I'll, I'll give it some juice i'm going
0: juice too. minor juice minor juice i'm going juice too uh, unfortunately uh well, i guess we'll have a chance to watch it it's a 1 the same day that the game will be covered so uh get a chance to see that probably from the press box there camping world bowl uh, We've discussed it. We both think juice. Juice. You know. Juicy matchup. All right. Uh, Belt Bowl. Wake Forest versus Texas A&M. That is uh, December 29th. That's the bowl Tech was in last year. I'm going
1: to say juice. Really? I, yeah. Oddly, I think this has a, some juice to the matchup. Wake Forest is a lot better than people think this year. It's got a lot better offense. You hear Wake Forest, and I think the first thing that comes into mind, at least to Virginia Tech fans, is, oh, that 6-3 double overtime <laughs> game. This isn't that team. Like this team, John Wolford, their quarterback, has accounted for 35 touchdowns this year. Uh, I was kind of surprised to find that he had 10 rushing touchdowns uh, to go with his 25 passing. Texas A&M just kind of is intriguing to me because of the Jimbo Fisher situation. He's obviously not going to coach the game, but – uh, you know, are they going to show up for that game? I, I guess that's kind of dependent on whether this game will have juice. It's whether Texas A&M actually cares to show up. Uh, but they've got some really talented guys. Christian Kirk, the receiver there. Uh, I think this has the potential to be a sneaky good game. I'm going no juice.
0: Normally, I like the Belk Bowl because ACC versus SEC is, you know, it's always. Pretty interesting to me just to see those two conferences go at it. Texas A&M has always been dry to me, even I mean, I guess the Johnny Manziel years
1: notwithstanding. But you haven't been a fan of the the swag copter, Kevin, since Kevin Sumlin there the last couple of years. No, really, no. wow.
0: Now my wife attend, spent one year at Texas A&M before okay. transferring to Maryland, uh, so she knows all the traditions, the bonfires, and the, you know. The, the reveille and all that stuff, and I had to hear about all that crap uh, early in our relationship, and now she doesn't care about Texas A&M anymore. But uh, I've always and then, when, then when I went to go, I went to Texas A&M to cover the Hokies game there, and i heard about how Kyle Field was this amazing place. It was lame. They were you know they were doing these chants, and it was like you
1: know they've like completely rebuilt the whole place. I think they have so much money there; they have more money than any school in the country, and they spend it like it. It's yeah, kind of, it's kind of you. Kind of have to impri- admire it from afar. And you go, wow, you're really going for it there. I yeah, guess. I guess. Sneaky juice in this game. No juice.
0: All uh, right, Sun Bowl, one of my favorite locales, El Paso, Texas. NC State versus Arizona State. Juice or no juice? I'm gonna say no juice on
1: this one. I, Arizona State just does not excite me, except for the off chance that Herm Edwards, the new coach there, gives an interview in some capacity <laughs> because he's so crazy subtle. he's so crazy did you see him the other day somebody was like ah devils digest i just want to he's like whoa devils i'm a christian man now i'm a christian man it's like the team you're coaching is called the sun devils did nobody tell you that before you took this job that 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 hire could be one of the most either brilliant hires in how the future of college football will go with a gm type like figure overlooking the program or it could be one of the most spectacular failures of any hire in recent memory, and I think I'm going to lean towards the latter because I I question hiring a guy that hasn't coached in college football since, like, 1988, whether he'll understand what to do in terms of recruiting and yeah you know, be at his best in that capacity. Uh but I mean, I, Todd Graham's swan song is essentially what this game is, and you know I think NC State's a much better team. I, I'm going to say no juice. Yeah,
0: I'm going to agree with you, no juice. And this is normally a bowl that I like. I mean, the ACC Pac-12 uh, <laughs> matchup, but I also agree with your Herman Edwards take. I mean, I'm going to miss Jimbo for his talking. You know, and I don't know what how Taggart is in terms of talking, but man, Herman Edwards having him at the uh, the. ACC kickoff would have been. Oh, that'd be amazing. amazing. That would, have, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. so. I, I will watch just in, in the
1: hopes that uh, we do see him and listen to him a little bit. You play to win the game. The best part of that wasn't even that, that part. Is afterwards he goes, "Hello, hello." <laughs> also, I, have you seen like Herm Edwards give those like rookie symposium things in the NFL? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "You need one of everything. <laughs> one car." one piece of jewelry you don't need the mr t starter set it's like, it's like the greatest like that's he's great in that function and that's why i wonder if this will work because he's sort of that dynamic speaking personality like that he connects with people like that i just, it just seems like such an odd fit going back to college like this that i just don't know if it's going to work
0: you know what he reminds me of is, is a preacher
1: and, oh yeah, he's got and, that, and so does Jimbo. He's got
0: that rhythm to
1: it. Jimbo reminds me of a southern preacher. That Jimbo talks so fast that he's impossible to transcribe. There's some points where it's just like, you know, they have the ASAP Sports. He's just like, I don't know, it's just like I have no idea what he just said there. <laughs> it's like, good luck ASAP Sports. You've earned your money on this one if you can accurately transcribe this. Tax layer bowl. That's December
0: thirtieth. That was one we were eyeing as a possible Hokie destination. Turns out Louisville is the one that
1: goes. They will play Mississippi State.
0: Juice or no juice?
1: I'll say juice just because Lamar Jackson is there. I don't think this is going to be a good game. I mean, Mississippi State does not have its head coach. Dan Mullins left. Todd Grantham, who was the former defensive coordinator at Louisville, has left as well. That would have been a great storyline, just kind of him going against his former team. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald has a gross... Uh, ankle injury in the season finale against Ole Miss. Uh, he was out, and then they ended up losing to a pretty bad Ole Miss team. Uh, I just think Louisville runs him in this game, honestly. I, I mean, I'd watch that just because it would be amazing to see Lamar Jackson one more time as a, a college quarterback. But uh, I just don't think the game would be very good. But I'll give it juice because of Jackson. You
0: know, I have I wrote about Jackson before the season, and I haven't gotten to watch very much of him at all. Uh, just the way the schedule's shaken out.
1: He's been like the quietest Heisman finalist you'll ever get because yeah. he hasn't quite done the spectacular, like singular spectacular plays like he did last year where he jumped a Syracuse guy. and It was all brand new to everybody. This year it's just kind of old hat. And it's like, oh, he just kind of casually put up 5,000 yards and 40-some touchdowns again. It's like, that's amazing. You should be amazed by that.
0: I think it might get a little annoying if you're watching the game and that's all they're talking about is, is Lamar Jackson. And it's probably because that's all they have to talk about juice-wise. I'm going to go juice only because I want to see – I haven't seen enough Jackson, and I do like watching him play. All right, juice enough. Orange Bowl, Miami Gardens, Florida, Wisconsin versus Miami. Juice or no juice? I'm going to say
1: juice. Some of Wisconsin graduates. I think this is the great – like the best contrast of style versus substance (laughs) as you will get out there. Uh, You know, Wisconsin is so boring and run the ball defense – Plain uniforms. Everybody drinks or eats cheese. Very wholesome milk. Wisconsin also beer. Lots of beer, and then Miami's the flashy swag turnover chain. Everything about South Beach. It's a great just like contrast of the two programs. I think it's got juice. Wisconsin is six
0: and a half point favorite
1: there. Yeah, I think Wisconsin's going to beat it bad. Yeah, I think with all the injuries Miami has, and I think. I think Wisconsin's a very good team still. Like they, they, you know, they struggled athletically against Ohio State in that game, but they were right there at the end. And honestly, they kind of got screwed on a, a non-pass interference call in that last drive. They got hit with a holding call. There's an obvious pass interference call down the field that they didn't call. That would have been offsetting. Instead, they get backed up in the first and twenty, and that's not Wisconsin's forte necessarily. Is first and twenty. Uh, I'm not saying they would have won the game. I'm just saying that that was a very bizarre no-call in a a pretty big situation.
0: Well, I mean, Wisconsin putting in a decent performance hurt Ohio State in the end because I I really think they needed to blow them out.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they ruined the chances for Ohio State
0: there. All right, Citrus Bowl, Orlando, Notre Dame versus LSU. Juice or no juice?
1: I will watch this. I'm gonna say no juice I don't I, this matchup for some reason just doesn't excite me. I don't know what it is i th- I think they're just kind of two boring teams in how they play It's very run the ball play defense smash mouth football and you know that might excite a lot of people out there and these are two name brand programs so I will watch because it's Notre Dame against l s u but it's just the the matchup just kind of does not excite me I don't know I'm gonna say slight no juice
0: juice I like slam you know slamming heads and you know running Fo ball yeah yeah uh, I didn't tell you whether I have juice or no juice for the uh, orange bowl I'm gonna go juice there Good juice literal <laughs> juice from and, the orange Bowl and finally sugar Bowl Clemson versus Alabama
1: boring <laughs> yes this is obviously no. juice yes no. obviously juice even if it's even if I think Clemson will win this game uh, somewhat comfortably which may sound stupid. I mean, they're not even favored in this game. I don't know why I feel so strongly about this. But I think people will tune in if Alabama losing just to watch Alabama lose because they like to watch you know, Nick Saban kind of squirm on the sideline because it happens so rarely. So obviously juice in this game.
0: We, have, we talked about it. It's funny. I was trying to figure out when the podcast started. I think we're approaching like a four- or five-year anniversary. We were talking about all the – Production advances we've made over the years and how bad it was at the beginning But then here I am rustling a newspaper into the microphone. I I guess we're not that far
1: Rustling the newspaper into the shared microphone (laughs) that we use in their podcast Still, maybe not the most technologically savvy podcast around. Okay. We like to leave on a
0: prediction Uh, There's nothing really to predict necessarily, but we're gonna try anyway. Andy Who's gonna be the next coach at Tennessee?
1: Les Miles Seriously? I don't know if it's going to happen, but the way this whole thing has, has played out, they kind of deserved to end up with a, an old coach who was you know, essentially fired or pushed out at LSU because he didn't keep up with the modern times. I mean, they they had a backstabbing AD, former coach in, in Phil Fulmer, who was backstabbing the, the present AD. That AD gets fired. Now Fulmer gets what he wants. He gets to be the AD. And I feel like an old coach is just going to make an old coach hire and hire an old coach himself and less miles. I I think it would be the most, the most perfect ending to this high. I, actually, I don't think it'll end up like that, but I would like to see it end up because that's kind of what Tennessee deserves in this whole thing.
0: Okay, my prediction: Toronto FC two, Seattle Sounders one in MLS Cup on Saturday.
1: I've Toro- angered some of the soccer fans by saying that nobody cares about soccer. Obviously, people care about soccer. Uh, I do not care about soccer. And when I say nobody cares, I'm speaking just for myself in the situation because I'm very narcissistic about it that way.
0: You should be happy. That was the only mention we're going to make of of soccer today. That should just about do it. We'll get together next week and talk about all the news that happens between now and then. We'll
1: also maybe... Well, will do a bowl guide, I yeah, think. Yeah, i have got to do an entire guide this year instead of uh, Do it. Deal. Do it all the way. I want to hear every prediction for every game and reasons for these predictions. Do you
0: want to do it all in one, or do you want to split it up in, in a couple of different weeks?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know how much there will be to talk about Hokies-wise next week. Okay. And we got some interviews this week, so maybe something will come out then. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the news that was going to happen came out this week uh i don't know we'll, we'll play by year. We'll we man. always we always plan this by the seat of our pants five minutes before <laughs> we start so uh we'll probably do that again next week
0: well whatever we do i'm sure we'll have some fun so uh be sure to check out all of andy's coverage online at roanoke.com for andy bitter this is darren McFarlane. we will see you next week